How you finish is important. Just ask Auburn. <laughs> Anybody watch that game? Monday? You remember when Auburn was up 21 to 3? 21 to 3, and that freshman Heisman winner on FSU looked really nervous, didn't he? But that second half, Florida State stormed back and ended up beating Auburn the last minute or so, 34 to 31. They won the national championship. Me and Matt, where's Matt at? Over Christmas. I'm going to take a risk here because video games get a bad rap in the church world. And some of it's deserved because there are some guys who are 28 years old and all they do is sit in their mom's basement and play video games and they never get a job. They never do anything else. Okay, I get the preaching against that, but I'm going to speak up for our freedom in Christ today. Me and Matt love to play Madden football on my Wii, okay? And over Christmas break, we played three games and two of those games were decided in the last 30 seconds or so, weren't they? One game, I was up, and he stormed back on me. Was it a kickoff return that he ran for a touchdown? Then the next game, he was up with 30 seconds to go, and my running back, Peyton Hillis, on the Cleveland Browns, who they no longer have because they never keep anybody good. (laughs) He got the touchdown in the last 30 seconds, and I won. How you finish is, is really important. Would you agree? Paul was a man who, at the end of his ministry would write this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Paul finished strong. Paul finished strong, and I want to talk about how we can finish strong as well. But before we get there, I I want to give us a little bit of a summary of where we've been, because we've been in Acts for almost two years. (laughs) That's a long time in one book. Some of you guys are like, when is Acts going to (laughs) end? But you remember at the beginning of the book, Jesus said to his disciples, hey, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive power to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as we've gone through that book, we've seen that process as the gospel began to spread out across the known empire. And it's been fun to watch Paul's part in that. Paul's part was really to take it to the non-Jews and to the ends of the earth. And I want to give you a little bit of an overview of Paul's life, just to get some some picture, and then, then we'll, we'll jump back in. Paul was born around A.D. 5, uh, shortly after Jesus was born. Now, I know the generations always like to argue about which generation's the best, like the, the boomers and the busters and Generation X and the Ys and the millennials. Which, which generation is best? I just got to say, this generation here, is, let's do some understatement. This is a pretty good generation, all right? Jesus was born, Paul, the other apostles. This was a good generation. So he was a contemporary of Jesus. We don't think he ever crossed paths with him while he was alive here before his crucifixion, but they were contemporaries. Around A.D. 34, Paul was 29 years old. We got any 29-year-olds in here or close? Jim? (laughs) Is that true, Lori? (laughs) He was around 29 when he's riding down that Damascus road and, and God shone that bright light and 
turned him from that life of persecuting Christians to, to becoming a spreader of Christianity. In AD 47, Paul was about 42 years old when he began his three missionary journeys that we've been looking at in the book of Acts. I learned something this week about those journeys. Wrap your brain around this. The first journey, he went 1,400 miles. The second journey, he went 2,800 miles. The third journey, he went 2,700 miles. And if you add that up, that's like going across the United States three and a half times. Before cars, before jets. Paul was serious about spreading the good news of Jesus around the known world. So he started that when he was 42. The passage we're going to be in today, he was about 51. He's going to give a speech to some elders in Ephesus. And then it was about age 61 in AD 66, 10 years after where we're going to be today, where we believe Paul was executed by a Roman emperor because of his faith. What I'm saying is, this passage we're, we're going to be zo zooming in on today is like 10 years before his coming execution. It really is the home stretch in his life as we finish out the book of Acts. And so this overarching theme of what does it look like to finish strong is going to cover the whole rest of this book of Acts. And I want us to be thinking in our own lives, what does it look like to finish strong? Some of you may be thinking about that theme and saying, hey, I'm in the prime of my life. I can set this aside for a while because I'm not going to finish for a while. Well, truthfully, we don't know when we're going to finish our race here on this earth, do we? None of us do. None of us is guaranteed tomorrow. So this aspect of finishing strong is vitally important to each one of us. It may be actually finishing life that you're thinking about. It may be finishing strong in a season where some of this stuff applies. Maybe you're in a, a job that's coming to a close and you're entering retirement or another stage of your career. Maybe it's living in this area. Some of you may not, may not stay here. Maybe God's tugging some of you to another area. Maybe it's the end of a, a season here in this area. I don't know what the finishing is for you, but there's a lot of applications. And one of the things that, that struck some of the commentators of Paul's life is the way Paul finished his life has a lot of reflections of the way Jesus finished his own life. And I'm going to show you a couple of those ways in just a second, but that got me thinking, wouldn't that be really cool if, if that could be true in my life and your life as well, that, that the way we finish reflects the way Jesus finished his own earthly life. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, <coughs> endured the cross. We want to finish like our master. Let us fix our eyes on him and run the race. There's a couple ways that Paul's finish in this last 10 years sort of mirrored Jesus' final year. It's, it's cool when you look at it. Both of them raised someone from the dead at the beginning of the journey of their home stretch. You remember for Jesus, it was Lazarus, and that stirred up the hornet's nest of the Pharisees. We're going to see today that, that Paul raised a guy named Eutychus. They both had a couple Last Supper type meetings. Jesus had the one with his disciples in the upper room in which he shared, hey, I'm not going to be here much longer. 
And he talked about, I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to empower you. It's a very tender moment. Paul has a couple of those in the chapter we're going to look at today. Both of them would eventually get to Jerusalem and be falsely accused of something. For Jesus, he was talking about his own body being torn down and raised again. And you remember they twisted that and said he was talking about tearing down the temple. Well, for Paul, we're going to see that when he gets to Jerusalem, there's some Asian Jews, probably from Ephesus, that see him. And they they say Paul took a Gentile into a part of the temple that only Jews should be in. Never happened. But that's what led to his arrest there. They both would stand before Roman governors. Remember, for Jesus, it was Pilate. For Paul, it would be Felix and then Festus. They both stood before Herod's. For Paul, Herod Agrippa came into a meeting with Festus. They both would have those trials and and ultimately they both would be executed for the teachings and the truths that they proclaimed. Main point being, Paul followed in his master's footsteps. And while every detail may not look the same in our lives, the question for you and I is, will we follow in Jesus' footsteps as we finish strong? We're going to be in Acts chapter 20, and we're going to focus on the second part of that chapter today. But I want to give you a couple highlights from the first part. I told you that Paul raised somebody from the dead. And this, this is a, pastor that bring, uh, a passage excuse me, that brings a lot of comfort to us pastors and other speakers. Acts chapter 20, verses 9 and 10. Paul's sitting in a city called Troas. This is the last time he's going to see this group of people. So, listen to what it says. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus. That phrase, young man, could mean servant or slave. Likely he was working all day, so he's very tired. Shows up at this evening meeting. His name means fortunate, by the way, which is kind of cool when you see what happens. He was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. I love that Luke wrote it that way. Like, I wonder if Luke's heard enough of Paul's sermons. He says, Paul talked on and on. And I love that somebody fell asleep while Paul was preaching. (laughs) Now, granted, he was preaching for hours and it was late. I've seen people in here sleep after half an hour. I've seen the backs of some of your throats. (laughs) It's amazing. That's okay. That's okay. It's okay to be tired. Maybe you need some rest sometimes. (laughs) But Charles Spurgeon used to tell his church, hey, if you fall asleep and die while I'm preaching, there's no apostles here to raise you back to life. (laughs) So Eutychus, sitting in this third story window, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Now check this out. Remember, his name means fortunate. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. (laughs) Wow. Dead. Paul goes down, threw himself on him. Reminds us of Elisha and Elijah back in the day, of Jesus and Peter in the New Testament. Don't be alarmed. He's alive. One other one. Paul had followers. Verse 4, Paul is on this journey, and I want you to listen to this list of people who are accompanying him. And at first, it's just going to seem like a random list. It might feel like reading a genealogy or something. If you're ever going through a yearly plan of the Bible and you get through those sections, 
I'll give you props. It says, he was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus, and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. I'm going to stop there. First, this just seems like a random list of guys going with Paul on his journey to Jerusalem. You remember he's taking a gift of money there. You know what's cool about this list? This list is made up of disciples of Jesus who were made on each of Paul's three missionary journeys. Each of these men in this list was saved during one of Paul's three missionary journeys. When Paul first met them, they didn't know Jesus. Now they not only know Jesus, they're walking with Paul on his journey. Very cool. The, the cities here, you remember as we went through Acts, Berea, Thessalonica, Derby, Timothy was from Lystra, Trophimus was from Ephesus. They're all walking with Paul. And it, it just led me to have this thought. You know, I picture Jesus with his 12. I picture Paul with these guys and others. If you were going to take a journey, and we all are on a journey realistically, who is it that we've led to Jesus or helped grow in their faith that's walking with us? Who is it? That's, that's our legacy. That's part of what it means to finish strong is to, to pass it on to others. And now, now we're going to get to the meat of our message. This happens on a beach. Paul's going to, in a city called Miletus, call to him the elders of the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a city where he stayed longer than any other city. Three years, Paul stayed in Ephesus. So you can imagine the love that he, he has for this church there. He's not in Ephesus here. He's in Miletus, but he wants to meet with the elders of the church. So chapter 20, verse 17, and out of his talk with them, we want to look at four ways we can finish strong, okay? It says, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. And this is going to lead into this first little section between here and verse 27. One of the best ways you can finish strong wherever you're at is to set an example for those around you. Whether it's your church, your missional community, your family, your workplace, set an example of what it means to be like Jesus. And he's going to tell them, hey, the whole time I was with you, here's how I served. And we're going to look at a couple of them. The first one was he was humble. He was humble. He put others, and especially Jesus, ahead of himself. Listen to how he says it in verse 19. I serve the Lord with great humility. Are we a humble people? That's an example we need to leave for those who are watching us. He was bold. He did this with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You guys know all the stories of the times he was stoned and whipped and thrown in jail. Did he stop? No. He was bold. Are we a, a bold people? He was bold in another way. He said, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. 
You ever in one of those conversations where you hesitate to preach or share something because you know it's going to be controversial (laughs) or it's going to stir up a hornet's nest with whoever you're talking to, be it your son or daughter or your friend or that non-Christian at work? I'm not going to go that far. I'm going to hesitate. Paul said he did not hesitate. He preached everything that was helpful to those around him. He was bold in that way. He was obsessed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. That was the heart of his ministry, the gospel. You must change your mind about who God is and who Christ is and put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. He was humble. He was bold. He was focused on the gospel. He was single-minded. That phrase comes up over and over throughout the New Testament. He had one focus. Listen to what it says in verse 22. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Now, if you keep getting warnings like that, and you've already traveled three and a half times across the United States distance-wise, isn't there a part of you that says, hey, it's time to take it easy? (laughs) All right, I've paid my dues. Let's settle down a little bit. Listen to what he says. He says, however... I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That was his only aim. And if we could distill our aims down to one, I think one of the biggest enemies of of our finishing strong is... Not necessarily that we always have wrong aims, but that we have too many. (laughs) He had one aim to complete the task the Lord Jesus had given him. One other thing here, he was well-rounded. He tells him in verse 25, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. This is tender. This is the last time he's going to see these people that he loves so much. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. He was well-rounded in his presentation of Jesus. He said, I've I've been faithful in my relationship with you because I've told you everything I know to tell you about God and his son, and the Holy Spirit, and the church. I've given you everything I know to give you. Can we say that? Will we be able to say that with the people that we have influence over? I didn't just give you parts. I didn't just tell you the easy parts or the popular parts. Or I didn't just focus on the the rules and the regulations. I gave you the whole thing, the gospel, the spirit. I declared it all to you. He was well-rounded in his time with them. So that's the first thing we want to say. He set an example for those people. That's part of finishing strong wherever you're at. Set an example for the people around you. Second, he knew that ministry and life didn't end when 
when his life ended. Ministry was something bigger than him. And the way he prepared for that was he passed the baton of discipleship on to others. That's what these elders are all about here. Listen to what he says to these elders. He says, keep watch over yourselves in all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is the end of his ministry, and he's talking to a group of elders at a church. Way back at the end of his first journey in Acts chapter 14, it says he appointed elders to oversee every church in every city where he went. This was his pattern. He knew the flock needed care when he moved on, so so he did that by appointing elders. And it's always a team, always a team of qualified men leading the church. That was his pattern for passing the baton. You say, well, what what does an elder need to do? And and you guys are going to get to hear from a a couple of our other, other elders today. I was hoping you could hear from all three of them, but one of them got sick. We'll hear from Scott next week. But I want you to hear a little bit from Aaron and Matt, their, their heart for our church here. But this is what elders are called to do. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I just want to pause there. Paul's saying, look, these people that you're called to shepherd, God loves them so much that he paid for it with Jesus' blood. That ought to make all of us pause when we think about how we treat people in God's church. God bought them with the blood of his son. We better love them. We better, better value them. He said, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. There's this caring. There's also this protecting. Sometimes the wolves come from outside. I read this this week that in North Korea alone, there are between 50,000 and 70,000 Christians living in prisons or concentration camps because of their faith. Between 50 and 70,000. Sometimes the attack comes from outside. We need to be watchful. Maybe even more scary is what he says in verse 30. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Sometimes the attack comes from within. People we think we know and love who probably even talk about the Bible an awful lot But so did Satan. And what did he do? He twisted it and began to teach things that were not true. He says, elders, be on the guard for for the attack from without and from within. And we know that this happened in this church in Ephesus. You know who Paul's delegate was of this church later on that he wrote a letter to? A couple of them? Timothy. Yeah. This is several years later. Listen to what was going on. He, he predicted it and it was happening. First Timothy 1 verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. There were people there trying to teach stuff that the Bible didn't teach. 
nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Here he's talking about people that love to get caught up on details that just don't matter. And it seems that that is all they focus on. And in the process, they try to lead others down their distracting path and distract everyone from the the truth of the gospel. Genealogies, myths. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. I think about this and I just think about Facebook and how Paul could not have imagined in his day how quickly this stuff could spread in our day. At least back in his day, it had to pass from word of mouth or people had to travel from city to city to spread this stuff. Today, it is so easy for garbage that looks good. But if you dig in just a little bit, it disagrees with the scripture, but it spreads around Facebook like wildfire. And as long as it's got a cool picture with it, man, it must be right. Silly example of it, me and Carolyn were on Facebook the other day and we saw an article about a giant 100-foot squid that washed up on the shores of California because of the radiation that came out of Fukushima a couple years ago. We thought it was real for like 30 minutes, and then we looked at the source. It was the Daily Current, which is a satirical newspaper out in uh, California. That's just a joke. But it got me thinking, that, that one doesn't matter, but how much stuff is going around that, that is lies and misinformation about God and the truth? And, and many Christians just oh yeah, I'm going to share that. Don't just share it. We, we got to be careful about this stuff that's spreading around. I think Paul would be amazed at the speed. I think this church got the message. John will later write this same church in Revelation chapter 2, and while they missed the mark in losing their first love for Jesus, one place where they did get it right, Jesus said to them in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, I know your works your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. At least they got that right. This warning that Paul issued them about watch out for false teaching, at least some of them took it to heart. That's what elders are called to do, to care, to protect, to be alert to admonish the flock when they see them going astray. And, and really, whether you're an elder of a church or not, there's people in your life you need to care for. You need to watch out for what they're, what they're taking in, what they're listening, what they're believing. There's people you need to admonish. We need to have this heart towards each other. Third, he entrusted these people to God and his word. Listen to this in verse 32. I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I just want to stop there. When when he talks about protecting from the wolves of false teaching, he knew that the biggest defense that any believer could have against that is to know his word. That's why he said, I entrust you to God and his word. This is your best defense about not buying into the stuff that spreads around. And if he says that to them, back in the day when 
when much of it wasn't even written down. They had the Old Testament, but Paul's stuff wasn't even written down yet. The Gospels weren't even, maybe, maybe Mark was in the process of getting written down. Maybe Galatians was there, but it wasn't compiled like this. If he could say, hey, I'm entrusting you to that for your protection, for building you up when it was in that form. Man, we've got it all right here. Are we taking advantage of it on a daily basis? Are we protecting ourselves, our church, and our family from the wolves by diving in here? He said, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. He's going back to his example here. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak or especially the poor in this case. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, is more blessed to give than to receive. All right, so we talked about how he set an example, right? How he passed the baton, how he entrusted them to God and his word. And finally, I want us to think about this. He left well. He left well with those relationships, not only intact, but thriving in love. As we hear about this leaving well, I want us to ask ourselves, is that how we leave the relationships in our lives? As much as is possible with us. That's what he says in Romans. As much as possible with us, live at peace with all men. Do we leave well? Whether it's leaving a job, leaving an area, or leaving this life. Our relationships in a stable and healthy place. Look at this love. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. Sense the love in that moment? This wasn't some cold, distant interaction with some guy they kind of knew. They embraced him. They kissed him. They prayed together. It says what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. He left well. So I want us to think and, and just be prepared to keep thinking about this as we look over the next several weeks in the book of Acts. How am I going to finish my race? How am I going to finish my race? Am I going to finish well? Can I say like Paul at the end of my life, my season, my whatever, that I fought the fight? I ran the race. Lord, uh, thank you so much for Paul's example of what it means to finish strong. Uh, Lord, help us to set an example. Help us to be passing the baton to others in our lives. Help us to entrust them to your care and your word. And help us, Lord, to, to leave well when we do have to leave. In Jesus' name, amen.